0: What a great day of worship and celebration today, right? Aren't you glad you came to church? We're we're going to um, we're going to start off a little bit differently today. I want to have a a quiz. School's out, right? But it's okay if we have a test just to see where we are. I'm I'm going to uh, it's it's a Bible knowledge test. All right, so you ready? Don't be nervous. I'm going to ask a series of questions. And I want you to answer them. Some of them you may think, well, God could be the answer to that question. But I'm, I'm looking for the people, okay? And if, if you have the courage, you can say them right out loud. These are, this is really easy. Okay, I'm going to start out with a really easy one. Who parted the waters of the Red Sea? Okay, we could say God. Let's say the guy's name. Moses, Moses yes. Thank you so much. Who was swallowed by the great fish? Not a whale, a fish. Jonah, good. you guys are fabulous. Who killed the giant Goliath? David. David, right. Okay, who led the march around the walls of Jericho? Joshua. Joshua. Which king built and dedicated the temple? Solomon, yes, that is excellent. One more. Who was the guy who rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days? Nehemiah, yes, you're, it, it, it was Nehemiah. Now, we're going to start a series on ne- the book of Nehemiah today. And I just want, before we get jumped in, I want to put in perspective exactly what he did. Rebuilt the walls in 52 days. I have been fascinated since I moved here, like 15 years ago, I think. Olmerton has been under construction. Are you guys aware of that? So I looked up. I looked up, like, the, the headlines about Olmerton Road construction, and in 2016, there was a headline that said, Olmerton has been under construction longer than World War II, okay? And, and so I think they were about halfway through at that point, if they're even finished now. So rebuilding the walls of an entire city in 52 days is an amazing accomplishment. And and it's a feat that's recorded in the Old Testament book that bears the builder's name. His name's Nehemiah. It's a fascinating study in faith, in commitment, leadership, and what can happen in a group of people when one man is wholly consumed by God's vision. So today we're going to begin a study of that great book for two primary purposes. First, there, there are many similarities between what was happening in Jerusalem at that time and what is happening in our culture at this time. And the second reason is we need to see how God can use anyone— to bring about the change he desires if they choose commitment. God can use anyone if we choose to be committed. Now, because many of you know the story of Nehemiah, you you might be surprised to learn that Nehemiah was an unlikely candidate for the job of rebuilding the wall. I mean, we we know the story, and so we just think he was the perfect candidate Guy. But, but the fact is, none of us, if we had been selecting a general contractor for the reconstruction of those walls, none of us would have selected Nehemiah. But God did. So who was this guy? We know that Nehemiah was a Jew. That means that he was one of God's chosen people appointed to enlighten the world that Yahweh is the one true God. Vocationally, Nehemiah was employed by King Artaxerxes Longimanus, who at the time was the ruler of the Persian Empire, which, not coincidentally, made him the most powerful man in the world. Now, Nehemiah worked for him. Does anybody know exactly what he did? He was the cupbearer. Okay, so what is is a cupbearer? I'm glad you asked. Picture a football game. All right, you, you, you with me? Picture a football game. The team calls a timeout, and those dudes run onto the field with the Gatorade bottles, and they squirt it in the player's mouth. That's what a cupbearer did. The king would be doing king stuff, call a timeout. Nehemiah would rush into the throne room and squirt. I'm making all of that up. That, none of that's true. So what did a cupbearer do? The cupbearer ensured that the wine that the king drank did not kill him. Okay, he was testing for poison. And while his own life may have been on the line by tasting it, his job description actually included protecting the wine from sabotage. Okay, He, he fearlessly tasted the wine before the king to prove that he had actually done his job. Okay, now why did the king have a cupbearer? Because in those days, world leaders lived in constant fear of being overthrown, and in particular of assassination. It wasn't so much that they feared outsiders. They knew the outsiders were coming to get them. It was the insiders that they were concerned about. It was those folks who had every day, every day they had access to their food supplies and to their wine cellars. So to help ensure that they were okay to relieve the anxiety and the constant paranoia, kings enlisted cupbearers to protect them from the threat of their wine being contaminated by poison. Now, that sounds awful, doesn't it? But in fact, being a cupbearer to a king was a great gig. The cupbearer was in the king's inner circle, he was well compensated. white-collar professional. If he gained the king's confidence, then he could be the king's confidant, serve as a de facto advisor to the king. And this was evidently the case for Nehemiah, but it didn't make him a builder. It made him a politician. Who would pick a politician to build a wall? Now, what does the... I didn't even know I, 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 I really, sorry, I didn't even know that was going to happen at all. Is my face red? Because I, I think that's happening right now. Well, I said that right here in front of God and everybody. So <laughs> I don't think my face has ever turned red like this right here. So what does this position, Nehemiah the politician, what does it tell us about Nehemiah? He was a career-oriented high achiever. Okay, since he was a foreigner who became an advisor to the king, we know that he was handsome because no king let homely people in the king's court. That didn't happen. So Nehemiah was a striking guy. He was politically savvy. He was cultured. He was knowledgeable in court procedures and protocol. And he had to be completely trustworthy, so he must have been a man of high character, impeccable integrity, and unquestioned loyalty. That's who he was. Now, as a Jew, we know he would have been a one true God worshiper. But for Nehemiah, it wasn't just affiliation with the people of God. See, that's what we find for those who follow God. We some people are just affiliated with followers, and some people are dedicated. Nehemiah was dedicated to a point. He was committed to God. He wanted to be a good steward of his influence. He wanted to be an asset for the Jewish people. But what's interesting about Nehemiah is that while he was committed to God, there appears to have been a boundary. There appears to have been some limit to his commitment. Because prior to the events that transpire in the book of Nehemiah, the fact is he didn't make God top priority. He didn't. See, Ten years before the opening of the book of Nehemiah, Artaxerxes authorized the priest Ezra to return to Jerusalem, the city that had been destroyed, and restore a sense of community among the Jews by rebuilding the temple. Ezra knew he needed help. So under the authority of Artaxerxes, he invited any Jew that wanted to return with him to go back to Jerusalem to restore the temple and revive the city of God. Any of them. And Artaxerxes said anyone who has a heart to go join this great work can go. And so we would expect a man of Nehemiah's commitment to God to be one of the first men in line to be compelled to go. But for whatever reason, Nehemiah stayed put. He kept his nose to the grindstone, climbing the ladder of success until he reached the pinnacle of his profession. And then one day, everything changed. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're going to be reading Nehemiah chapter 1 today. If you turn to the middle of your Bible, you'll find the book of Psalms, and then just a few books in front of the book of Psalms is the book of Nehemiah. We're going to begin reading in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. This is the day it all changed. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th century, while I was in the citadel of Susa, and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, You know, those, those who survived the exile are back in the province, they're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commandments, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Nehemiah is confessing what has already happened, Artaxerxes authorized the return to Israel. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man." I was cupbearer to the king. So these are the circumstances that changed everything. Understand what's happening. Nehemiah is busy at work. Okay, he's he's protecting the king by bearing his cup. And he gets word that he has some visitors. Hanani, one of his literal brothers, brings a group of people in to see Nehemiah. Now, they had been back home in Jerusalem, and while we don't know what was on their mind because they never shared it, we know exactly what was on Nehemiah's mind. He wanted a full report about his homeland. He obviously knew that Ezra returned and what he returned to do, but he just didn't know how things turned out. And so skipping all the customary pleasantries of a reunion, he got right to the heart of the matter by asking two questions. First, how was the Jewish remnant that survived the exile? In other words, how are the Jewish people? And then the second question was, how is the city of God? Now we need to remember, Nehemiah did not go back Remember, Ezra, everyone that wanted to go back was authorized to go back, but Nehemiah did not go back. He could have been more at ease now, just assuming that everything was great. Because, you know, sometimes you make a decision that you regret, and you wonder if you could have made a difference. And so you think about it, and you could face it, or you could just pretend like it didn't happen. He could have just lived his life assuming everything was going great. Maybe that would have assuaged his guilt for not returning. And besides, even if he had the information, what what could Nehemiah do about it? Jerusalem was so, so far away. But he asked the question. German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche Observe that you can measure the spirit of a man based upon how much undiluted truth he can handle. I would add, the amount of truth he seeks is just as revealing. How much truth do you want to know? When Nehemiah asked them about God's people and God's place, he he wasn't asking the way we ask about someone's puppy to keep the conversation going. He was asking because he cared. He wanted to know the facts in case there was something he could do. And so his desire to know the truth gives us insight into his spirit. Maybe he's thinking he made a mistake not going back, but he wants to know. And you know why I think he wants to know? Because he believes that with God there's always hope. Now what did they tell him? Look at verse 3. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the providence, are in great trouble and disgrace the wall of jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire as to the people of god here's what they said great trouble and disgrace the people are in great trouble and disgrace now the word for trouble there doesn't just indicate their current state of affairs. It's not about where they were, but it also includes where they are headed. It wasn't just about their circumstances, but their direction. Things were going because of the great trouble they were in. Things were about to move from bad to worse. They were literally on the path to destruction, now, you, know, you know what happens when we're in that kind of trouble? We despair. That kind of trouble causes you to think, gosh, it's, it's just too far gone. Nothing can be done. It, it gets to the point when, when you're experiencing despair that you don't even notice the trouble you're in. They had been living apparently contentedly, with the fact that the walls of God's city had been broken down for 10 years. The walls were in disrepair. The gates had been burned when they got there. And 10 years later, no one had done a thing to change their circumstances. That's despair. Despair. Maybe they thought, look, the, the, the problem's just too big. So you, just, you just live with it. Nehemiah was willing to hear the truth, and they weren't able to see the truth. They weren't willing to. They had, been, they had become apathetic, indifferent, And that's why they were in great trouble and literally moving toward destruction. See, here's what we know. We know that Ezra went there to rebuild the temple. But listen, when something great happens like that, it marks the start, not the finish, What was supposed to happen is with the great momentum that was established by the rebuilding of the temple, they would celebrate God's presence and his goodness by addressing the other issues in the city, namely the building of the walls. And what did the walls have to do? It Listen, they were insecure. They were vulnerable to attack. And so what happened when the walls were torn down is their families were exposed. They should have woken up and done something. But they settled. Apathy kicked in and they they had become inert. And now they were drifting in the wrong direction. They were in great trouble. But that wasn't the only problem. They also found themselves in a state of disgrace. Now what is disgrace? It's compromised grace. It's the opposite of grace. Okay, we, when we think of God's grace, we should think of it as the manifestation of undeserved blessings. Disgrace is the opposite, which means it would be the notable absence of said blessings. There were no obvious signs that God was among them. There was no evidence of his presence or his protection. They were in a state of disgrace. So as to the people of God, they were in great trouble and disgrace. As to the place of God, it was in complete disrepair. The walls were broken down. The gates had been burned with fire. Why did that matter? Because a city that is in disrepair was a sure sign of the people's despair. After 10 years Gosh, they could have done something. Anything. But they were too busy navel gazing, looking out for themselves, rather than sacrificing for the good of the community and preparing to experience God's blessing. Now, how does Nehemiah respond to this information? He's devastated. I wonder how many of us look at the world we live in, the chaos and the confusion, and choose anything but cynicism. How many of us have ever been devastated by the darkness that is closing in around us? Nehemiah was devastated Look at verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. That news, the truth that he was willing to face, broke him. It brought him to his knees and to the point that he put everything else on hold. Remember, Nehemiah was all about career. He was all about getting to work and doing his job. He put everything else on hold and turned his attention to God. Why? Well, first, his heart was broken because the amazing grace of God was available to his people but they chose not to receive it. I'm going to say that again and let it soak in in a moment. The amazing grace of God was available to his people, and they chose not to receive it. We know that grace is undeserved. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's available to us. It is the state that God wants us to rest in. It is the shalom of God, the peace of God. It's grace. Disgrace, which is what his people were in, is a byproduct of sowing and reaping rebellion against God's grace. Disgrace is what happened happens when we reject God's grace. Now, God's grace had been poured out on the Jewish people. God made a covenant with the Jews. In other words, God came to them out of all the peoples on the earth, and he said, hey, I'm going to make a deal with you. A covenant. There's some things that I'm going to do, and there's some things that you should do in response to that. Now, the fact that He chose them to make a covenant was grace. He didn't have to reveal that path to them, that was grace. He didn't have to choose them, but He did. He didn't have to provide the promised land, but He did. He offered them a means of protection and prosperity, that was grace. All they had to do in response to his grace was choose obedience to the covenant. But they didn't, and they rebelled against it. Even with the fresh wind of more grace blowing through that was evidenced in their return, they still weren't doing their part. And Nehemiah looked at that and saw all that they were wasting, and it broke his heart. And he confessed in that prayer the sins of the people before God, acknowledging their foolishness in their rebellion. God had put some gifts on the table, and in disobedience, they were walking away from them, rejecting his grace. And it broke Nehemiah's heart. And second, his 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 heart was broken because, quite frankly, he was culpable. I mean, he was he was part of the problem. Remember, God made a way for His people to return. The objective of the Jew was to live in the promised land. But Nehemiah didn't go with Ezra to the promised land. He stayed in the palace chasing the golden goose of career advancement. He saw himself now as just as much a part of the problem as the people who went back and quit quit building. As a matter of fact, he probably thought, I'm even more the problem. Because I didn't even try God spoke, opened the door, and I didn't move. I rejected his grace too. I wonder how often we reject God's grace. As as Nehemiah faced that truth... His heart was broken. You know, it's interesting, in our culture, we, we, just, we just remove the concept of sin to make everybody feel better. But even the godless Nietzsche rightly pointed out that our spirit is revealed when we face truth, not when we run from it. Here's the truth. God is holy and righteous. By his grace, he invites us to enter into the blessing of a relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. Maintaining the help and flourishing of that relationship includes the ability, the willingness to confront sin. To be honest about the fact that we all fall short of the glory of God. Nehemiah let that break his heart. I think we spend our time being so upset about other people and their problems that we seldom choose to be still before the Spirit of God and allow God to speak into our lives. Praying with David, search me and try me, O God. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me lead me to the path of righteousness that's what requires courage Nehemiah faced the facts his heart was broken and then guess what happened God said That's the guy. Despite the fact that Nehemiah didn't deserve a second chance, he asked God for one. If God would give him favor before the king, he wouldn't shrink back from doing his part to flip the script. He would lead the people to cooperate with God's covenant and enjoy his protection and blessing one more time in God's holy city. And that's exactly why God chose Nehemiah to lead the rebuilding effort. We we may have thought it was because Nehemiah was in the position in the palace before the king of Persia, but that position was ancillary. God chose Nehemiah not because of his position with the king of Persia, but because of his position with the king of heaven. He was rightly submitted to the King of Heaven on his knees, seeking his forgiveness. After days of fasting and wrestling in prayer, there was a breakthrough. And in that season of focused prayer, Nehemiah was led by God to forsake all, to risk all for God's glory and for God's people. God gave Nehemiah a vision that he would lead his people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He believed that was his call, and God would confirm it if he softened King Artaxerxes' heart to the vision. So he ended his prayer this way. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Now, we're going to find out next week and as we go how God answered that prayer. But today, here's what I want you to understand. It's those people who are dependent upon God, who are committed to his cause, willing to risk everything. It's those people that God uses to change the world. He is God, is looking for men and women whose hearts break for the things that break his heart. Listen, listen, I've got news for it. It's not the people who can point out the problems or even the people who can prescribe solutions. You, you know, if, if God was just looking for people who could identify the problems, he could have used Hanani or any one of the other folks that came to Nehemiah because they had a good handle on the problem. Remember, they were the ones who told Nehemiah that the people were in great trouble and disgrace and that the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down and the gates burned with fire, they could describe the problem. Most people can describe a problem and will. But God uses the ones who want to lead to the solution whose hearts are broken because of the devastating effects of sin and darkness in the world they live in. Nehemiah's brother and friends, they, they knew what was wrong, but they weren't moved by the trouble. And so, God wasn't using them. He found a man who was willing to get See, what God does is He takes people whose hearts break because of trouble and disgrace. And He activates on their behalf. 2 Chronicles 69 says, in fact, that the eyes of the Lord reign throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. to God's looking for. And so on that day, at that time, God found Nehemiah who was all in Flipping the script, bringing God's grace to a people who are living in disgrace. Now, I want you just to wrestle with a couple of things as we close today. Are your walls broken down? Are your gates burned with fire? Are, are you living in trouble? You know if something doesn't change, you're, you're moving toward destruction? Listen, God can change that. God wants the fresh wind of His grace to blow in your life. But you have to be willing to face it. You have to be willing to acknowledge the truth and then turn to the one in faith who can break those chains and set you free. Are your walls in disrepair? Is there someone you love whose walls are in disrepair? Is there someone you need to activate for? Is there someone you need to go to the mat praying for? You may think I'm too far removed. There's nothing I can do to really help. No, no, no. That's why we're studying Nehemiah. There's always something that can be done. And and remember... God is searching to and fro all over the earth to find a few people whose hearts are committed to Him who are willing to activate to follow His vision and lead people to shalom. Is that you? Let's bow our heads and pray. So excited to study Nehemiah because there there's so many great lessons to be learned from this man who is willing to face truth I, I pray Lord that right now we would be willing to face truth as we open ourselves to the to your spirit to hear what you're saying to us Lord for those who and recognize that they're living in a state of disgrace, I pray right now by your Spirit you would mend what's broken, that you would restore what has been stolen, that you would let your light shine in darkness so they would know your peace. Father, if if our hearts should be broken for someone in our circle who's moving in the wrong direction, who's in great trouble, I pray, Lord, that you would wake us up, that you would give us vision, give us a heart for them, call us to prayer, and lead us to action. And Father, if there are those here today who have been exposed to the grace that you offered us in Jesus Christ, but have not yet placed their faith and trust in him, I I pray, Lord, that today would be the day where they choose faith. They won't walk away one more time from your grace, but they would by faith move toward your acceptance by placing their faith in Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your truth that sets us free. Thank you for the grace that makes peace possible. And thank you for the invitation to join you in your work to change your world. Lord, we're grateful for the testimony of those graduates today, the testimony of those who are baptized. I I pray, Father, that each of us would choose the courage to stand for you, for your glory and not our own. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.